Hello there, my name is Ivan Ornelas, bringing you episode 2 of the Tectonic Takes podcast. How, I hope everyone is doing well. This uh, I'm recording close to 4.30pm on a Sunday, August 9th. Whenever you are listening this, wherever you're listening this, I hope you are having a good day, weekend, week, whatever that may be. We are pretty much five months into this global pandemic that is still hitting the United States in particular pretty hard, hitting California pretty hard. So hopefully you all have been able to make the most out of this time in any way possible. And I'm coming to this podcast in good spirits for a couple of reasons. The A's just clinched a sweep over the Houston Astros, so I represent all the East Bay teams. I'm a Earthquakes fan, Sharks fan, A's, Warriors, even though they're not East Bay anymore technically, and I'll always be a Raiders fan even though they also relocated. But also, it's 12 days until my birthday, and some of you are probably thinking, wow, Like, it's not even a week until his birthday, and he's already mentioning it. What an attention hog. I mean, you gotta be excited about something right now. My birthday is one of the few things, along with this podcast and a few other projects, I have to look forward to. So, that is always going to put me in a good mood, and I hope that the only birthday present I can ask for from you, the listener is to continue listening to this podcast and to share it with your friends and family. That would be very much appreciated. That would make it the best uh, birthday ever, in my opinion. And before this podcast, I asked a few different sections of the San Jose Earthquakes community on social media for a few questions, and I'll just shout them out real quick. I want to give a shout out to the San Jose Earthquakes Discussion Facebook group, the San Jose Earthquakes subreddit, the San Jose Earthquakes Discord server, and the San Jose Earthquakes fans on Twitter who are following me at Ivan Ornelas2. And they provided me with some great questions, a lot of similar questions, which makes sense because given that this is currently an off-season type of period right now. The Quakes have been eliminated from the MLS's back tournament, and the regular season hasn't resumed yet, although we'll get to that in a second. There's only so many questions out there, but I do appreciate those of you who did submit questions, and this is always my favorite part of podcasts when the host or hosts use their platform to connect with their community, to their listeners, and I've learned from some of the best podcasts out there, especially in the soccer community. There's so many great podcasts that I enjoy listening to, some in the uh, Beautiful Game Network, of course. As I am currently living in San Diego, I moved to San Diego from the Bay Area in 2019. I am involved in the San Diego Loyal community, 
since they are the local soccer club here in this beautiful city, America's finest city, some may call them. And their podcast in this network, uh, Fair Weather Pod, shout out to them. They do a great job. And more specifically to San Jose Earthquakes podcasts, there's the Black and Azul podcast, which I enjoy listening to. They had a great interview with uh, Earthquakes defender Tommy Thompson that I recommend for everybody. And also Quakes After 90 is another great podcast as well. And some of the people involved in Quakes After 90 submitted some questions. And lastly, there is one other podcast that I've been listening to that have been particularly kind to me these last few weeks. We've had some good discussions about various uh, parts of the soccer conversation in the world right now. The Soccer Talk Lads podcast based in St. Louis, as they eagerly anticipate their MLS expansion team. I know it's going to be a good time for them. And even though right now the USL team that I feel closest to is the San Diego Loyal, which might be a bit harsh to say because Reno is the current uh, USL affiliate of the San Jose Earthquakes. I also have a connection from when I went to school at UC Davis with the Sacramento Republic, and I'm very excited for them to be an MLS club as well. I think they have a great fan base. They're going to build a nice stadium in downtown Sacramento. They're very community-driven, as are the San Jose Earthquakes, so I look forward to that as well. So without further ado, let's get into some of these questions. So right away we have one question that is uh, from the Facebook group brought to me from Crystal Quadra Cutler. Crystal wanted me to talk about the schedule. So... Based on the schedule, I'll go into it in detail in just a second. The San Jose Earthquakes will be playing difficult teams back-to-back with short turnarounds. Will Matias Almeida stick with his preferred lineup? Will injuries be a concern? And how many points do you realistically have a chance to take in this set of games? So there's a lot going on in that question. So let's just start with the schedule. All times here are Pacific Standard Time. Uh, so we're starting with... August 26th at 7.30 p.m., the San Jose Earthquakes will host the Portland Timbers at Avaya Stadium. And I'll also go into the various regulations as to which clubs are allowing fans, which clubs aren't allowing fans, and other precautions that we know of. Then on August 29th, three days later, in a to-be-determined time, the San Jose Earthquakes will go down to Los Angeles and they'll take on LA Galaxy at the Dignity Health Sports Park. And then three days after that, well, four days actually, on September 2nd, 7.30 p.m., they'll face LAFC at the Bank of California Stadium. Then three days after that, also 7.30 p.m., they go back to San Jose. They will face the Colorado Rapids. Then they get a nice five-day break, and after all this travel moving around, that extra day or two will very much come in handy. 
They'll go up to Seattle in CenturyLink Field. They will face the Seattle Sounders once again. And then the last game scheduled as of now, uh, September 13th, 8 p.m. versus LA Galaxy at Avaya Stadium. Not Stanford Stadium, of course, because, shocker, the Avaya Stadium will not be having fans as of now. And therefore, if there's no fans coming to Avaya Stadium, there's no reason to use Stanford Stadium, which is usually the site for San Jose Quakes home games when they face their California classical rivals, LA Galaxy. So now that we have the schedule covered, let's go back to some of the questions Crystal asked us. Will Mateus Almeida stick with his preferred lineup? So we did see in the five games San Jose Quicks played this summer in the MLS's back tournament, he has his starting 11 figured out, and he very rarely rotated them. I think the only game he made any changes to the starting lineup, and it was only one or two, was in the third group game against Chicago Fire. So... Those games were a bit more spaced out than some of these stretches on this schedule. But even then, I think Almeida is going to be more hesitant to rotate players than other managers probably would given these run of fixtures. But who knows where Almeida's mind will be at when August 26 rolls around the corner. And then perhaps they have a very exhausting physical game against a good Portland Timbers team who happened to be one of the finalists of the MLS's Cup turn MLS's back, not MLS's Cup. MLS's back tournament finalists, Portland Timbers. If they are drained from that game and then they have to fly from San Jose to LA, then Almeida might have a change in part and try to rotate a couple players here and there. This close run of fixtures as well would definitely mean that the likes of Chris Wondolowski and Shea Salinas, who are entering the latter stages or in the latter stages already of their career, they'll be coming off the bench because you don't want to use those guys for 90 minutes or 70 minutes, what have you. Injuries will definitely be a concern. Surprisingly, San Jose Earthquakes did not pick up too many injuries in that tournament. They play a very high-energy style of soccer that really takes a lot of you, demands effort from your players from minute 1 to minute 90, often higher than 90 because of the mass stoppage time at that tournament. I do think it will be a concern this time, though. Just because you got out of one tournament without too many injury problems doesn't mean your injury problems are going to stay uh, clear forever. The law of averages would suggest the other extreme, and I don't think the earthquakes will have an injury crisis per se, but I do think that injuries might be the main thing that forces Almeida into some changes into his lineup. But we'll see how it goes. The good thing is that this is the second phase of this restart era of Major League Soccer. We already experienced the MLS's back tournament. They shook off the rust and they played those games. Hopefully in this period of games, 
that rust won't reemerge and they'll be able to stick with their rhythm of training and they'll go from there. How many points do we realistically have a chance to take from this set of games? So today is August 9th, so the first game starts 17 days from now, two and a half weeks. And as of Tuesday, when Portland and Orlando have their MLS's back final, essentially every team in MLS will have at least a two-week break. Some, depending on when they're eliminating the tournament, will have a longer break than others. But I think that while it's not a long time between now and these MLS fixtures, there still could be a lot of changes in terms of personnel, in terms of who's starting and who's on the bench, and form, all those sorts of things. And not necessarily just from an Earthquakes perspective, any of these MLS teams could undergo some sort of change, especially the ones that didn't do as well in the MLS is back tournament. I'm not saying LA Galaxy, for example, is going to have an entirely new back line by then. That's unrealistic. But to assume that the LA Galaxy that conceded six goals to LAFC is going to be the one that shows up to Dignity Health Sports Park on August 29th, might not be the best idea. But let's go through each of these games and I'll try to be as accurate and unbiased as possible, which the accuracy part especially is very difficult in Major League Soccer. So first up they got the Portland Timbers at home. And I'm going to say I would probably expect San Jose Earthquakes to lose that game. Portland Timbers have dismantled a few other defenses. They've played some very tough teams in the MLS's back tournament, and they're looking pretty good right now. So I'll chalk that up as a loss. I don't expect them to batter at San Jose Earthquakes, but it could possibly be maybe a two-goal win or something like that. Then against LA Galaxy, and while I did say that I don't expect them to just be the same shell of their former selves that they were in the MLS's back tournament. I do think that their defense is a really tough project to resolve in a short space of time. But the question is, is this San Jose Earthquakes team capable of going into their main rivals, even though Galaxy might have a stronger rivalry now with LAFC in the El Trafico derby, will that be enough? Will San Jose Quicks have what it takes to win at the Galaxy's home stadium? I do think that losing the fans, I don't expect any of the California teams to have fans at their games, given the state of the virus in this state. So that is one advantage that Galaxy won't have when they're playing in Carson, and that's one advantage the Quakes won't have when they're playing at Avaya. I think they could win this game against the Galaxy. In fact, I think I could, they could possibly do the double against the Galaxy. And a main part of that is that Quakes do have confidence. 
Yes, a lot. Of, some of that confidence might have been damaged from their loss to Minnesota United, but they have a lot more confidence than the Galaxy still right now. Next, we have the Colorado Rapids, and the Rapids are a tricky team. They don't look like a threatening team, but they gave a few good teams some problems in their group. They were in a group with Rail Salt Lake, Sporting Kansas City, and Minnesota United. But since the Rapids are at home, I, th I mean, the San Jose Earthquakes is at home. I think the Rapids will not be able to beat the Earthquakes there, so I'll give Earthquakes a win there. LAFC is another team. Other than Minnesota United, I think LAFC is the biggest problem for San Jose Earthquakes. And assuming they have Carlos Vela back, which may or may not happen, even still, I think they have too much firepower, and I think they will beat San Jose Earthquakes. And even though San Jose Earthquakes got a draw against Seattle Sounders, I think if we're being honest, Sounders did have stretches of that game where they looked dangerous. And so did the San Jose Earthquakes. But just from watching that game, I didn't feel like the Quakes looked too often like a team that were going to beat Seattle in that game. And the Sounders, they probably have a point to prove after losing heavily to LAFC. Seattle also have their defensive issues. However, I think it'll go against the Quakes here this time. So the way I have it, I have three wins and three losses from those six games. Which I think it's fair given the quality of players and teams that they're going to come up against. I think worst case scenario, the Earthquakes take five points from these six games, which is pretty bad. You know, five points out of a possible 18. No one really thinks that's a good run of form at all. But I think nine points out of 18 would be good. They could probably get a draw here or there, maybe make it 10 or 11 points. But I do think that a lot depends as well on if Quakes will make any changes, whether it be within the players they already have or if they make moves elsewhere. The next question I have from Reddit comes from Smohan Lewin, if I could sign any designated player in MLS to join the San Jose Earthquakes, who would I pick and why? And this is a very good question. There's so many good designated players in the league right now, pretty much in any recent point of history for MLS. And the first one that jumps to mind is probably the one that a lot of people want to have right now, Nani. What else do you want from a designated player than someone who can carry your team even when they don't look like 
they're going to do too much in a tournament. If you take Nani out of Orlando City, they might not even make it out of their group. With Nani, though, they have made it to an MLS's back final. So, I think he's a pretty good uh, shout for that. But I feel like that's also a pretty obvious selection. There's any? Do I think there's any other uh, designated player that would be a better fit for San Jose Earthquakes? Because Nani plays on the wing. Earthquakes don't have bad wingers, but Nani would certainly start in San Jose Earthquakes lineup. And to be honest, a lot of designated players would start in this lineup, which frankly, that's to be expected given their designated players. But still, as good as the San Jose Earthquakes are, they are missing that kind of hole. And I'm thinking another player, if not Nani, I think Nicolas Ladero would be a great player to have in San Jose Earthquakes as well. Given that he plays in that center attacking midfield spot, which if you put him in front of Magnus Eriksson and Jackson Ewell, two players capable of making good passes, but also capable of covering every blade of grass, they may not be able to do Judson's role as a defensive midfielder, quite like Judson does, but they can certainly provide cover for the players behind them in that back four. They're very versatile players, and that will allow Nicolas Ladero to help out the front three of San Jose Earthquakes attacks to be dangerous every time they have the ball and every time they get into the 18-yard box. So after talking it out right now, as much as Nani is on fire right now for Orlando City, I think Nicolas Ladero is a good player to have, and I think he would be my choice for a designated player to join the San Jose Earthquakes if we lived in that universe. And another reason I would have picked Nani, I guess, because I am a Manchester United fan when it comes to European soccer, so that would be pretty fun to have, but... I think Ladero overall would win that battle for me. So this next question comes from Kevin Portillo. Who should the San Jose Earthquakes sign in the transfer window? And then also uh, Dom and Phil from Quakes After 90 want me to touch on the goalkeeper situation or was if this was just a poor stretch from Daniel Vega and could Vega still be the starting keeper going forward. So let's break it down. Right now, San Jose Earthquakes, I think they have four key areas of need to improve, maybe five. So the areas of need are goalkeeper, center back, central midfielder even if Magnus Eriksson doesn't go back to Sweden and a striker because Andy Rios is not the answer Wondolowski is not going to be here forever and I'm not convinced by Danny Hoopkusen it could help to have a winger whether it be a starting winger or a winger off the bench if 
Piero looks okay, but I think there needs to be another option besides him. So these are the names that came to mind. Some of these are, are more realistic than others. I looked at who were free agents. I looked at players I thought that could possibly come to MLS or San Jose Earthquakes. And maybe a couple idealistic choices here or there. But for goalkeeper position, given that uh, Matias Almeida is the coach, Rodolfo Cota would be a pretty good upgrade on Daniel Vega. He is a former Chivas player. He won the league and the uh, CONCACAF Champions League at Chivas. He's currently 32 years old. He plays for Club León in Liga Mekis on loan from Pachuca. So that's the tricky part is he's currently on loan with León. And then when that loan expires, it's up to Pachuca. But... If anyone can entice him away from Liga Mekis is Almeida. A recent MLS player for the goalkeeper position would be Vito Manone. He is a 32-year-old Italian goalkeeper. He last played for Minnesota United. So maybe he'll have some advice for the San Jose Earthquakes uh, to beat Minnesota United if he were to become an Earthquake player. He played in several clubs in England as well, and while he was in MLS, he looked like a pretty good goalkeeper. Probably not as good as Tyler Miller is right now, which is probably why Minnesota went with Tyler Miller as their starter for this season. But I think, again, he's also a capable upgrade ahead of Daniel Vega. My personal favorite choice out of the bunch for the goalkeeper, and probably the least likely to happen, is Milan Borjan. He is a 32-year-old Canadian goalkeeper. He currently plays for Red Star Belgrade. He's been involved in the Champions League a few big games there. He is currently the number one goalkeeper for the Canadian men's national team. And he would be a very reliable pair of hands between the sticks for San Jose Earthquakes. However, because Red Star Belgrade constantly find themselves in Champions League and he's played well for them, he is their starter, even though Major League Soccer is a better league than the Serbian League, because he gets constant Champions League action, might not be in his best interest in his perspective to come to MLS right now. But we'll see. A lot of Canadians and Americans, especially when they get to their 30s, we do see them again in MLS. So that'll be an interesting idea. All three of those goalkeepers, though, are, in fact, in their same age of 32, which is only a few years younger than Daniel Vega. And there's a younger option in San Jose Earthquakes waiting for his opportunity in... Uh, JT Marcinkowski. Fun fact, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the uh, previous uh, uh, episode of Tectonic Takes, but there would be, I mean, JT Marcinkowski did graduate from De La Salle High School where I went, so, and that's also where Chris Wondolowski went, so that 
it's a pretty fun connection there and a reason why I'm rooting for JT Marcinkowski to get another opportunity for the San Jose Earthquakes. If they aren't going to improve from Vega in the goalkeeper spot, I think they have to give Marcinkowski a chance. I'm really sorry to Daniel Vega because there has been some games where he has done well for San Jose Earthquakes. I was at the game against Portland Timbers where Daniel Vega saved the penalty. That was great. But what have you done for me lately? And the answer to that question is not a lot of good stuff, unfortunately, if you're Daniel Vega. So either way, I hope there will be a change in the goalkeeper position. In the center back spot, I narrowed down three choices. I uh, went with Victor Ruiz, a Spanish defender, currently a free agent. I believe he last played for Villarreal. Ezequiel Garay, the Argentine international. He's also a free agent. He's played with clubs such as Zenit and Valencia. I actually have four center backs, so that's two so far. The third one, I have Mike Vanderhorn. He's a Dutch defender who is also a free agent, last played for Swansea City. And lastly, Daniel Ayala from Middlesbrough. And not much to say here other than these are all players that have experience playing in some of the best leagues in Europe, or in the case of the championship, the best second division league in Europe. I think people sleep on the championship, particularly in the United States, but there are some good players and some good teams there. The Brentford side that failed to earn promotion uh, last week against Fulham, they're littered with good players that are probably going to get snapped up by Premier League teams. So I think if you're an MLS team, the championship is a good source of players, particularly if they become free agents or if they're not in promotion contending clubs. Then for the midfield spots, I have Gonzalo Escalante. He's also an Argentine. Almeida loves his Argentine players, so that'd be fun. He last played for Ibar, which is a real feel-good story of La Liga, a very small club that have been punching above their own weight the last few seasons. And that kind of lines up with San Jose Earthquakes. San Jose Earthquakes aren't necessarily a small club, per se, but they're not one of the LA teams. They're not Atlanta United. They're not Seattle Sounders. They're not a New York team. They're not a Florida team. They are often an afterthought in the minds of a lot of MLS fans. So a player like Gonzalo Escalante, he kn knows how it feels to play for a club that kind of does feel like an afterthought and to play well as well. A bit of an idealistic choice for this one because he's still kicking in Europe. He's still contributing to Real Betis. And it's the Mexican international Andres Guardado. And... I really hope that they can get in on the act. We've seen LA Galaxy attract Javier Hernandez. We've seen LAFC attract Carlos Vela. And both teams as well, they've been developing younger Mexican players too. So 
and we've seen Alanis and Fierro come from Liga Mekis to San Jose Earthquakes, but they're not quite at the level of international recognition or recognition from the average Mexican soccer fan as Andres Guardado. I think if you were to sign him, he's a good enough player, even though he's getting up there in age, to continue to contribute to a ambitious team. I do consider San Jose Earthquakes an ambitious team since they did make it far in this last tournament and Almeida is an ambitious manager. Then Guardado would be a great signing and it would attract a lot of fans in the Bay Area, particularly Mexican fans who maybe aren't interested in MLS to give San Jose Earthquakes a chance. You have to get recognizable players, and for the average soccer fan in the Bay Area who may not be familiar with MLS, who maybe only watches the national team, maybe only watches during World Cup years, or maybe is just an exclusively European soccer fan, in this San Jose Earthquakes team right now, they may only recognize Chris Wondolowski, and unfortunately, maybe for the reason involving his miss at the World Cup against Belgium more than any of his other achievements in his incredible MLS career. So Guardado would be a great signing. I'm not sure if it's on the cards right now because Guardado seems very intent on playing in Europe still. For the winger spot, since it's the least area of need out of the five that I'm focusing on, I just picked one player. It's another Chivas Mexican player. It's Isaac Rizuela. Isaac Rizuela would, is 28 years old right now, and I think he would be a good fit whether he's uh, on the bench as a super sub or if he's starting every game for the San Jose Earthquakes. And the main reason why he is constantly in many San Jose Earthquakes fans wish lists for players to sign is because he was born in San Jose. He did um, move to uh, Me Mexico, particularly Jalisco, at a very young age when he was two years old, but there is still that connection. So I think that would be a great player to have here in San Jose Earthquakes. And then I have two uh, players in mind for the striker position and I want to pick players who are under the age of 30 because I want them to at least potentially replace Wondolowski for a few years if not more. Borja Baston, he's not the most popular figure in European circles. He only made a couple appearances as last club in Aston Villa but I feel like that's the type of player that he Needs another chance to prove himself. Why not take it to MLS and show us what you're made of? And to be honest, can't do much worse than Andy Rios. Probably the most exciting player in this bunch, maybe because he's 20 years old. The French player who was not renewed in his contract with Monaco, Moussa Sia. I think that would be an interesting talent to have here in MLS or San Jose Earthquakes. And if you're looking for a long-term striker replacement of quality, it's going to be tough because there's not a lot of 
20-year-olds or early 20-year-olds who have had experience at a European team. Monaco's a pretty big European club when you consider it. They've made it the Champions League a couple times. They had that one year where they had Mbappe, Bernardo Silva, Fabinho, Benjamin Mendy. They made it to the semifinals of the Champions League. So Monaco is still a big club despite their recent struggles. Um, and Moussa was a part of that setup. So I would be excited to have a player like him. And it's worth a shot. So hopefully these potential transfer suggestions do satisfy you. And we'll see what happens. Uh, Jesse Fiorinelli, the general manager of San Jose Earthquakes, did justify the lack of new players into the squad as a statement of confidence in the players already here, thinking that they could do better this season. And we've gotten a mixed bag. And the result of losing to Minnesota by a three-goal margin again, I think I'm not necessarily saying heads have to roll, but the ship has sailed in terms of we believe in these players to do better. How many chances are you going to give this exact combination of players? you got to bring in more players. I'm not saying to close the door on these players, and some of them can still improve, but you cannot stay complacent in any soccer league. Everyone else is constantly making moves, trying to improve, and if the San Jose Earthquakes want to win any sort of silverware or competition of note in the near future, they must do the same. And then, at the Fault Liners on Twitter, as a group, we feel that fans should not be in the stands this season. MLS is allowing fans for the markets that allow them, as well as not deterring away travel. In light of the coronavirus, should MLS take the stance, or should a uniform no-fan policy across the league, such as Major League Baseball, be taken? And does this provide an unfair home advantage for the teams that are allowed to have fans? So I am 100% in agreement with the Faultliners. Fans should not be attending games yet. It is still too soon. I don't know how else to put it. I love sports. For me, it's like my relationship with God, friends, family, girlfriend, that's top priority, as well as my work. Then it's video games, and then it's sports. I love sports, and I want to be going to games so badly, but I don't even want to go to the beach right now. I live in San Diego, California, one of the best places to go to the beach in the world. But because of all the idiots that are spreading the coronavirus, not social distancing at our beaches, I don't want to go. You just have to put certain things to the side right now and realize that it can wait. The good thing about San Diego is the beach isn't going anywhere. We'll talk about climate change another day, but the beach is not going anywhere anytime soon. So I'll have my next opportunity to go there. I'll have my next opportunity to go to a sports game, an MLS game, a USL game, but not yet. And I'll go through the uh, updates that various MLS clubs have provided at this time regarding their various stances. But bottom line, I, w I would not go even if they were allowed to go just yet. And I do think that... 
means that there should be a uniform no-fan policy across the league. And Major League Baseball has this policy, but they're not in a bubble. They've had issues with the spread of the coronavirus. And there was some points where it looked like four or five games into the season that baseball was going to be done, that they were going to end the season there, and that's it. The leagues that have done bubbles are the ones that have taken this the most seriously and have reduced the threat of coronavirus to as close to 0% as you can possibly do. I'm talking about the National Women's Soccer League, who have completed their tournament and it went great. Congratulations, Houston Dash. NBA and WNBA are doing the same thing. NHL, they have two hub cities in Toronto and Edmonton, and they're doing well. Major League Baseball is having a few problems, and MLS will have some problems if this is the route they want to go and mix in some teams having fans and others not having fans. And especially, like, let's say, for example, it probably won't happen to any of these away trips, but let's say Seattle decides, you know what, we're doing all right, we're going to have fans in CenturyLink Field. Then fans from, you know, let's be honest, there are more cases here in California. There are going to be some fans who are going to be tempted to go to Seattle, potentially spread it or catch the virus just to watch the San Jose Quakes game. And thankfully the fault liners don't appear to be some of those fans because they pose this question and they seem just as concerned as I am. But... If you give people the option to shirk rules and to shirk suggestions for the greater good, if they get something out of it, whether it be a few hours of entertainment, enjoyment, a good time, they're going to take it. And it should be all or nothing. If there are fans in attendance for one game or one team and not the other, that's an instant home field advantage. Right now, the San Jose Earthquakes are not having that home field advantage because they're not having fans. Other teams will have that advantage when they host their games. And the whole point of MLS is, or any sports league, is that it should be a level playing field. So I do think it should be uniform. And the bottom line and the top priority is we have to do what we can to stop the spread of coronavirus. At Gilberto HDZ200, what is most critical to beating a team like Minnesota United in this system? And then I'll tack on at Jay Zalk or Josh, who added LAFC into this equation. And I mentioned them earlier. Those are the two teams, more than any other teams in MLS, that have their number. We've seen a few other teams significantly beat the San Jose Earthquakes recently. But those two do it the most precision and with the most ruthlessness. And it's like San Jose Earthquakes have no response when those teams get in form and start scoring goals. And I think the main solution is that you have to be less predictable. There's no more sneaking up on teams anymore. I think the period of sneaking up on teams for San Jose Earthquakes ended in the summer of 2019. 
They had a few games where it worked in the bubble here, but they, in those victories as well, they only kept a clean sheet against Chicago Fire. They conceded three goals to Vancouver Whitecaps. They conceded two goals to Real Salt Lake. So they need to be more versatile and less predictable. And whether that means maybe starting a few different players against Minnesota United or LAFC, essentially don't concede a goal in the first 30 minutes, not the first half. I think that's the level where San Jose Quicks are at with this current personnel. You have to put all your chips down on not conceding a goal. Keep a clean sheet in that first half. And then when you can bring on Chris Wondolowski and you can bring on Shea Salinas and whoever else, maybe Kate Cowell, he was a burst of energy every time he appeared in the MLS's back tournament. Then you can see if you can try to sneak a win with another goal or two. I think when it works, it works very well for San Jose Earthquakes. But this system has not worked particularly against Minnesota United and as well as LAFC. So you have to try something else. Even if it's not the sexy game plan that Almeida wants to play, that might be the way to do it. And nobody likes to park the bus. No one wants to be a fan of a team. It's like, oh yeah, we parked the bus. Not even if you like Jose Mourinho or if he manages your team, do you enjoy that type of soccer on a week-in, week-out basis. But sometimes that's the only way you can beat certain teams. Look at FC Cincinnati. They had to do that in order to beat the New York Rebels and Atlanta United and to push Portland Timbers to penalties. It wasn't the prettiest soccer you'll ever see, but it, it can be effective if you buy into that system. And let's see. One last question, I believe, on my notes. Homegrown with a zero in the second O for grown. On Discord, wanted me to talk about the season ticket holders. And as another Discord user, Static Beetle, pointed out, they will be moved, those perks and the season tickets themselves will be moved to 2021 should a MLS season occur as planned. And I'll just uh, say this. So I'm not a season ticket holder, which is not a shocker considering I live in San Diego. When normal play resumes and fans are allowed back and it's safe to do so, then I'll definitely be making the trip as much as possible to go to San Jose Earthquakes games. But um, I understand fans feel aggrieved that they aren't getting anything to show for this purchase. And it sucks. Like, when you purchase a season ticket for any sort of artist or sports team or whatever, you're showing that you really care about this group, these people who are putting on this product for our entertainment. And when that gets compromised, it can be frustrating. But we have to look at the bigger picture still. We just have to be patient. I'm sure San Jose Earthquakes, they do care about their fans and community. They will figure out some perks to make it worthwhile in the long run. And yeah, and this goes out to anyone else who is in a similar situation 
with season tickets, I encourage you to reach out to those ticket offices and ask them what they can do. As a fan, you are entitled to know as much information as possible and do your best in that area. But right now, this is still in certain times for everybody, and not everyone may have all the answers. So now we'll go into some of the status of other uh, MLS clubs and whether or not they'll have fans. Let me just take a quick drink of water. So the San Jose Earthquakes Twitter account uh, said that they received clearance from Santa Clara County to resume full team training sessions and host matches at Avaya Stadium. They did not explicitly mention uh, fans, but I imagine that because they didn't mention anything regarding fans, there will not be fans at those games given the state of COVID-19 throughout California. So no fans for San Jose Earthquakes. And then Stephen Goff at Soccer Insider, he does great coverage on all things U.S. soccer, and he provided the status of other MLS teams, and I'll just go through them real quick. FC Dallas is allowing about 25% capacity and masks are mandatory. Way to go, Texas. Uh, D.C. United will not open Audi, fans, Audi Field to fans, but we'll reevaluate in the next phase. New York City FC will play their first six home games at Red Bull Arena. So I guess that's karma for all those jersey jokes that they've been giving Red Bulls fans. Um, when the Yankees season ends, they will have the option to play in the baseball park. And Toronto FC will also be playing in Red Bull Arena, which is interesting. I understand Columbus does have high cases of COVID, the state of Ohio, but uh, the Columbus is the closest MLS site to Toronto within the United States. Obviously, Canada is doing a lot better than the United States in terms of control of the virus. And it's a similar situation with the Toronto Blue Jays and Major League Baseball. Sporting Kansas City is op opening the stadium to fans at 14% capacity, mass required, and time entries. So I guess that means like you have to get into the stadium at a certain time, otherwise you're not allowed entry. No fans for Chicago Fire, uh, Atlanta United, Minnesota United, Colorado Rapids, New England Revolution, Seattle Sounders, and Portland Timbers. Nashville SC is waiting and seeing and will make a decision in the coming weeks. Rail Salt Lake is limiting it to 5,000 fans. Cincinnati will say no fans for their first home game, but then they'll decide future matches, and same with Houston Dynamo. Columbus Crew fan status is still an open question. And the El Trafico will be behind closed doors between LA Galaxy and LAFC. I assume that will extend to their other games as well. Orlando City is exploring the possibility for a limited number of fans. And Inter-Miami is not decided. I know this is non-comprehensive of all the MLS teams. But, um, or at least I think it's non-comprehensive. I feel like we're missing a few. Definitely the non-Toronto Canadian clubs. But there's a few markets out there, particularly in areas where there's less COVID than others, that will be opening to fans. But because people are still traveling back and forth, I really do 
wish that the clubs that are allowing themselves to have fans, they would reconsider. That would be my top suggestion. But if they don't, which they probably won't because they made these official statements and they're not going to listen to me, that they do take every other precaution possible. If there's even one COVID case in any of these clubs, in any of these games, that could pull the plug on this season of Major League Soccer. Might not because it didn't for Major League Baseball. But also it would be a case if I told you so. It worked so well in the bubble with MLS's back tournament. And I get that you can only maintain that bubble for so long even if it is in the Disney World complex. But still, like, if you can't manage a bubble, I would rather there not be sports. But as a San Jose Earthquakes fan, I am cautiously optimistic for the prospect of more games. And I just hope everyone stays safe. Briefly with the USL, and this is another thing that reiterates and reaffirms my concerns about this COVID-19 situation. Last Friday, I believe, you know, I believe it was yesterday, I think, yeah, it was on Saturday, which is yesterday, the San Diego Loyal and Las Vegas Lights game was postponed due to an individual with the Las Vegas organization testing positive for COVID-19. So this is what's happening in USL right now. USL is not operating in a bubble, so unfortunately there have been a few cases of covid but thankfully, they have not hesitated to postpone games when they encounter these cases, which is great, but I wish that they would have found some other way. It's tough for USL because they don't have the resources that MLS does, but still, it's a tricky situation. In more positive news, this young man or young kid, deserves a shout-out. So nine-year-old Alex Ibarra raised $10,000 to the Alameda County Community Food Bank by reaching out to friends, family, and his community. He cites Shea Salinas as his inspiration, and I can't think of too many better role models to have than Shea Salinas. Shea Salinas is... As much as Chris Wondolowski, in my opinion, the heart and soul of San Jose Earthquakes. He gives back to the community, he makes great relationships with his fans, and he sets good examples such as Alex Ibarra. And this is great to see. Especially, I've lived in the Bay Area my whole life prior to last year. And while when you think of the Bay Area, you think of San Francisco, you think of Silicon Valley, you think of all these tech companies, it's an area of extremes. There are millionaires and billionaires living blocks away from homeless people, low-income families, and other people who are struggling. Heck, even regular people. If you are making what would be a regular amount of money in most other parts of the country, you'd be at or even below the poverty line in some Bay Area neighborhoods. So this is a great story and I think it shows that people are still willing to help each other during this difficult time. And if a nine-year-old 
can find a way to raise $10,000 for a charity, and there really isn't any excuse for the rest of us to donate a little bit of money here and there to our own charities or give back any way we can. Even in a time where many of us are without jobs, there are things that we can do, even if it's just signing a petition to make a difference. And then the last point of MLS news is MLS's back final, Tuesday, August 11th, 5.30 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And a cool story from this game, Catherine Nesbitt becomes the first woman to work an MLS final of any sort as an assistant referee. She was a reserve assistant referee for the 2018 MLS Cup final. And she will be on the field participating in this final. And I think that's great. Soccer is a global sport, and every person of every sort of identity deserves to be a part of it. There are great women who referee these games, who are now owners of certain or partial owners of certain soccer clubs or sports clubs, great coaches, great uh, podcasters, working news outlets. They are as much as part of this sport anybody and hopefully that she gets the credit she deserves hopefully we know that it's easy to make fun of MLS referees but this is a great moment for her my prediction for the final I'm gonna go with Portland Timbers winning 2-1 over Orlando City Orlando City have defied all expectations to get to the final but I think in this final the team that has won an MLS Cup before the team that has been in more important matches throughout their history. I think Portland Timbers, Diego Valeri, they'll have that edge that to get them over the line. So that's all for now. Thank you for staying with me. We are just approaching the one hour mark of this podcast. Uh, just a reminder to follow me on Twitter at Ivan Ornelas2. That's I-V-A-N-O-R-N-E-L-A-S-2, the number two. I'm also on Instagram at IvanTheWriter95. If you really enjoy this podcast, you want to get to know more of the work I do, some soccer related, some related to other interests of mine, you can check out my Patreon. It's just my name, Ivan Ornelas. If you wish to support it, it's just a dollar a month. It's completely voluntary. It would mean a lot, especially in a time where... I, like many other people around the world, are struggling during this pandemic. And hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to being with you uh, next week. I'll be recording next Sunday. And I will probably take the week after that off for my birthday. But other than that, I look forward to more great conversations covering the San Jose Earthquakes and all of the things soccer as they come up. Hope you have a great day and see you next time.